0: We are the Existentialists. Four existential psychotherapists invite you to join us in a dialogue about what it means to live an existentially tuned life.
1: Your hosts are...
0: Xavier Williams, therapist in Vancouver, Canada.
2: Janelle Drizner, therapist in Edmonton, Canada. Chelsea Stanner, therapist in South Surrey, Canada.
1: And Mihaela Lounanou, therapist in Vancouver, Canada. Hello, existentialists.
2: Today, um, it's your usual co-hosts coming together. So Mihaila, Xavier, Janelle, and myself, Chelsea. And today we'll be talking about emotional dishonesty and honesty kind of across the spectrum. And we'd like to start with a bit of a check-in first amongst us, just to see how we're feeling today, how we're landing, and to start with that before we begin our our dialogue.
1: Would anyone like to kick us off? Yeah, I can do that. I hope it's um, early morning for me still trying to get as much of my coffee as possible before i speak up <laughs> during this podcast yeah so still um, you know coming back to life after the after the sleep last night really excited to be here though very excited for the topic in beyond the present moment like my life is quite stable okay at the moment I'm definitely noticing that I I look forward to a break, to go on um, on some holidays, some time off. I really, really feel the need for that. So I'm kind of looking forward to that in a few weeks. And other than that, yes, I'm uh, kind of counting the days to that moment. But for um, the present moment, I'm really excited about being here with, uh, with you and uh, for having a dialogue about emotional dishonesty.
2: Thank you for that emotionally honest answer. (laughs) For myself, I also feel ready for a break too, but coming into this weekend, we're recording on a Saturday morning here in Vancouver and Janelle in Edmonton. And so on this morning, I'm also a little bit tired but feeling relaxed and as I'm stepping into the weekend there's not a whole lot on my plate so I'm looking forward to the spaciousness of that to just kind of be able to relax and and let things emerge or feel spontaneous with what I would like to do. I'm a little bit disappointed with our weather so far. This. This summer, I was hoping to kind of get outside a little bit more. Not that we can still do that uh, when it's raining, but I know that I definitely feel like a sense of, of calm and peace like when the sun is out and just kind of experiencing that warmth. So I'm noticing right now.
0: Yeah, that weather is not, not really being a friend at the moment. I suppose also counting days to to a break, uh, long needed i think everybody frankly needs some form of break and we're lucky enough here in b c to to be able to do some sort of break and some sort of travel um so that's that's really nice otherwise i think i'm mostly just occupied with this topic with um i've had to kind of you know really ask myself well, when have I been emotionally <laughs> dishonest and i'm'm I'm, I'm, i'll' we'll talk more about it but i 'm glad to say that that was more in uh, earlier life um for a whole host of, re- of reasons but it, it certainly it certainly kind of prompts you to go um okay well maybe um and it's a little bit uncomfortable at, at times, so I'm excited to kind of be always fun to to do this with the three of you, but also kind of like hmm, maybe might have to divulge a few things that i might i, I didn't necessarily want to
3: for me. I find the question of "How are you?" to be difficult to answer. Whenever people say like "How are you doing? What's going on?" it's like yeah, good, but that's kind of emotionally dishonest. It's easier for me to respond with body sensations, like I'm I'm feeling tired or my jaw's sore, or I'm feeling nauseous, or easier, more often to respond with like what I'm thinking at any given time. But to actually attune to what I'm feeling. Sometimes I dread that question, how are you doing? (laughs) I even avoid it sometimes at work because it just never feels good enough to say good. And I understand that there's like, that's kind of a social, socially accepted way of engaging in a very short amount of time, right? When you're passing each other in the hallway or what have you, but something just doesn't feel authentic about it. And yeah, so this topic has certainly has me intrigued. Because even in this moment, I'm sitting here thinking, I don't know, how am I feeling? And well, immediately I feel anxious because the sound keeps cutting in and out. And I can't tell when you guys are talking or not talking. (laughs) So it's not the best internet connection, but we'll work it through. We'll figure it out.
2: Thanks for letting us know that. And thank you too for uh, your check in there, Janelle. I was also thinking that too, during mine, kind of like, oh, I'm not totally sure how to answer that how are you question. And I know it often comes up with clients too, because usually I will actually start with that question, but almost always it's, oh, I'm good. I'm fine. And then I find I have to ask the question the second time. And when you get to it the second time, like, how are you doing? Or, how have you been to kind of word it a slightly different way even, or to circle back to it, I then get the, or more of kind of the true answer. And I think that's for myself too. Like there's something just so automatic or I don't know, culturally expected about giving an answer that's yes, I'm good. I'm fine. Or things are busy, like very vague kind of ambiguous words that don't really have a lot of substance or that could mean various things to whomever you're talking to. So I, I liked what you shared there.
0: I think as therapists, we we maybe kind of, I don't know, it's a difficult question to answer because it's really not about us. And yet clients are desperately, not always maybe, but quite curious about how we are. I often get how are you? And I'm like, oh, okay, thanks. But how are you? And then they and then they will ask me a second time and they'll really be asking me. And then I've got to kind of come up with a way that is respectful of that and one not wanting to be emotionally dishonest because that would be almost counter-therapeutic and, counter and, and not real. On the other hand, we don't really want to make it about us.
1: And also... I was thinking what you mentioned Chelsea about the cultural expectations and emotional dishonesty and is it dishonest if someone is following the expectations of a certain culture it could feel very dishonest for someone from another culture but before we launch into that maybe we want to to define our terms a bit like what uh, how do we understand emotional dishonesty before we again discuss more about cultural expectations and other things.
2: Yeah. So as we sit with that term, emotional dishonesty, I'm just curious what comes to mind. I know immediately for me, when I think about what that means, it's that maybe my expression of how I'm feeling or how I portray something on the outside uh, to the world or to somebody else doesn't accurately reflect what is really going on in the inside for me and I think maybe there's different degrees of that too like sometimes I may not even be connected with or aware of what is going on inside and then all the way to the other side where I might be very very aware of what's going on but I don't decide to disclose that.
1: So it seems to be that you are talking about a discrepancy, an incongruency, mm-hmm. either um, unconscious or outside awareness, or very conscious, in which um, the second case will be like when there is an attempt to portray ourselves in a manner to achieve a certain you know, perception from the other, so there is more purposeful there that I don't want to be seen, or my feelings to be seen by, by the other, So that's more, to me, more intentional and purposeful, to hide, not to disclose the white lies kind of thing, the omissions, or even more like uh, portraying more deliberately in a different light. But then I really like what you highlighted about the discrepancies uh, between how we feel and how we present because we don't know how we feel or we cannot articulate how we feel.
0: Or indeed those instances in which we, whether rightly or wrongly, assess that the person who's asking maybe isn't the right person to hear it, or or maybe lacks the capacity to hear it, or the wounding that they might suffer is, you know, you kind of, we evaluate, we calculate that it would be too much or something, something to that effect.
1: So is that dishonesty then?
0: Uh, I don't know. This is a very good question. I mean, it, it would, I suppose in a way, because you're not, Really saying what you feel, and you're aware of it, and so there's some intent to hide, but is hiding for a good purpose mm-hmm. I, 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 what's popped into my head is the um the inquiring murderer who was that that was Kant When is it moral to tell a lie? You know, if some of a murderer is chasing somebody and they ask you which way did that person go? And you believe in never lying? Do you lie or don't you?
1: That reminds me also. That reminds me also of um, <laughs> something that is stu- stuck with me from um, existential analysis training. Like in um, when we talked about the ability to be, which is related to reality, to truth, telling the truth. Something that we um, we say that it's that telling the truth at all costs, even at the price of uh, doing harm to the other person, is an act of violence. And so that relates very well to what you just said, Saad. That um, the question is telling is telling the truth, the most ethical, moral act at all times. Mm-hmm. Can you expand a little bit on that,
2: Mahila? What mm-hmm. you're saying about doing violence to the other?
1: Yeah, like if if someone tells a very hurtful truth, because the other person who receives that truth is not able to understand it, to relate to it, is too much, too wounding then uh, we create more damages that than doing any good. So again, it, it's very tempting to advocate for be honest at all times and tell the truth at all times, but I guess it's more nuanced than that. So what is emotional dishonesty?
0: Are, are we then kind of going into a, a realm of this maybe emotionally honest or dishonest outwardly, but then versus kind of it being emotionally honest inwardly, right? If I know what I feel and I deliberately don't tell you because it would be too wounding or because I don't trust you enough or whatever. I may not be telling you the truth, but I'm not deceiving myself. I'm not oblivious. I'm not even avoiding or pretending like I'm I'm sitting there kind of almost wrestling with it. I would say to at least to some extent internally, that would be emotionally honest for me.
3: That does make a huge difference. I think it's actually relationally responsible to assess the capacity of the other, or, or maybe even to be, to practice. I remember in our existential training, we talked about modesty in terms of like what we share of ourselves and that not every person we meet is deserving of our innermost feelings and thoughts and so on and so forth. And so it can actually be a protection, a kindness to oneself to, to not share that. And I think that's important in different relationships actually to assess whether the other can hold and receive it and whether it does me a violence to share it. But I think awareness is everything. Like, are you aware of your own feelings? What's going on inside you? And making a conscious decision and deciding what you consent to share and what you don't consent to share.
1: I really like what you said, Janelle, about relationally responsible. That kind of stuck with me as being so critical in how we kind of decide and assess if some something is emotionally dishonest or just, as you suggested, a responsible way to deal with myself and the other.
0: The other point on that, picking up on, on what Janelle Mihailov just said is, I've had a uh, couple of clients who, when asked, kind of, you know, what's something, without telling me, what's something that you've never told anybody? And they they were unable to identify something in so much as that they've either have been telling everything basically of the experience that they could imagine or indeed it's been expected of them and so they lack kind of a privacy an intimacy a kind of their own inner world and how important it is to in that modesty that that you know janelle highlighted there that that it serves not just a purpose for maybe being relationally responsible, but also for ourselves, to 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 create a healthy kind of inner self.
1: Yeah, when I when I said relationally, I mean when Janelle said relationally responsible, and I repeated that, I was also referring to the relationship with myself, right? So I am absolutely with you, Sav, on that one. So it's responsible towards the other and towards myself, and so I would suggest that emotional dishonesty, then, since we try to still mm-hmm. describe it and capture it, is doesn't apply to those instances in which we act relationally responsibly and we may because of that not reveal not disclose everything
2: so you're saying then that in those circumstances where we are being relationally responsible that that actually would be part of kind of what zav was saying there that it is part of emotional honesty on the inside to not portray everything to the other
1: i think as long as it's a decision And it's um, the choice uh, that we are making is obviously taking into consideration the other and myself in in that dialogue, in that relationship. But then the question that came up for me is like, our capacity for self-deception is quite high, as we know from lots of research. So the question would be, can we be sure that uh, we are actually relationally responsible and not just not wanting to get into trouble or (laughs) difficult conversations?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that it sparked a question for me too, of around like how accurately and actually how much is it my responsibility to assess the other person's capacity? Like, might I be actually taking away from mm-hmm. their freedom, their responsibility mm-hmm. in making those decisions for them that, you know, I will hold back this thing because I don't think that they can handle it. And I know Like when I was thinking of emotional dishonesty, that's something that comes as an example to me first and foremost, sometimes in my particularly family relationships where I'm wanting to sustain some kind of relationship as is and not being sure if another family member can hold necessarily what I have to say. And so I hold it back. But I I kind of feel there's a bit of a dilemma there. Like how much should I really be doing that? Mm -hmm. Can I really assess for another person?
1: Sure. That's such a great point, Chelsea. And the dilemma and intention is there for me too. And I know some people saying, yeah, we should preserve the relationships at all costs. And the relationship is the top value while others say no my authenticity and being able to say how I feel and um, to share who I am is the most important so that tension again between authenticity and um, relationally responsible yeah
2: well and then too when we look at when we talk about preserving relationship Mm -hmm. and you have to look at what is relationship Mm -hmm. and so if I'm preserving a relationship on a false pretense or from a place of dishonesty is that really relationship
1: so so we were planning to talk about emotional dishonesty i see that we are talking about like really core issues like um relational responsibility the self and other and um, and what you said right now chelsea so hey not not so easy to to define emotional dishonesty i guess
3: I think that to go to your point, Chelsea, like that's what I hear in work with my clients and from my own experience is there is like different reasons to be emotionally dishonest. And the two that I come across the most is the assumption of if I tell the other person what I'm feeling, it's going to burden them. And the second one being, I don't want to cause conflict and there being conflict avoidance. And I think all around, like underneath, Both of those is this avoidance of suffering. I think it's much easier for us to be emotionally honest with uh, when we're happy, when we feel joy or gratitude. But if we feel anger, especially, I noticed that one gets concealed quite a bit, particularly in Canadian
1: culture. Yeah, I, I'm so appreciative of you, general, like making these points about, yeah, we, what we try to hide sometimes are the not so good things. And um, avoidance of conflict is a big one that I encounter too is, um, in working with my clients, in my relationships. And yeah, culture plays a, a large role in that, I think.
0: And personality types speaking from personal experience, <laughs> conflict avoidant. Mm-hmm.
2: Would you like to expand on that, Sav?
0: Maybe not this minute. <laughs> I mean, no, actually, that's not, no, that would be, I don't know, maybe uh, if, you're, if you're <laughs> But yeah, uh, you know, so I'm, a, as listeners might know from our website, existentialspodcast.com, I'm a, on the Enneagram personality types. I'm a, I'm a nine, and nine is a peacemaker. Nine, nine doesn't like conflict so much. Which is interesting because I used to, like I've studied, you know, uh, war and society and and so I uh, I kind of and, and grew up in a in a French household in which conflict is the order of the day. Like it's not, not abusive or anything, but it's just how we communicate sometimes. And yet I certainly find myself holding back, less so now, but previously definitely holding back precisely to avoid upsetting the apple cart, as the phrase goes. To avoid any sort of distress in the other. And Janelle kind of hinted at that to to prevent their suffering, really, or at least prevent me imagining their suffering. Because what I've discovered is that on the whole, people tend to be a little bit, have a lot more capacity than we might imagine, than we might evaluate and endow them with. And that kind of came through work in existential analysis and particularly on the, the topic of inner consent. And for listeners who remember the first episode where I talked about the you know the party that you go to with that, that you don't want to really, that really kind of helped me get to a point of okay, well, what is my actual answer here, what do I really want to say, and I'm, I'm finding myself better able to say it, maybe not perfectly, not all the time. There's definitely times where I don't, and I wish that I could or I did, but yeah, conflict avoidance for sure
1: and and that uh, what you said so um Brought me back to what Chelsea mentioned before. Do we have the right to decide for the other? Like, uh, as and you also pointed out, that we imagine sometimes much more than actually the realities, and we tend to imagine that the other is more fragile somehow, and that it's our responsibility to protect them from suffering. And I I don't even know if it's suffering. We imagine suffering perhaps is just distress or maybe they also are conflict avoidant. Yeah, the question that comes up for me is how ethical it is to, to make a decision for the other and to actually treat the other as if they are fragile and kind of in need of protection at all times.
2: I think too, like along with the different reasons that we've named for emotional dishonesty or reasons why it might occur to avoid conflict, as Zab was saying, I think another way that it shows up is to try to control or Yeah, I guess control is the best word for it maybe, or even manipulate at times how someone else might perceive us, like trying to portray something different or not reveal actually how we're feeling. And so it can be maybe protective of the other, but then also protective in some way, rightly or wrongly of of the self too, and how you might be perceived.
1: Yeah, that's very important because I think, I mean, if we really think kind of more, reflect more on what or whom do we want to protect, that's a great question when I don't say the truth. Is it because I want to really protect the other or do I want to protect myself from all the burden, conflict, whatever I may create by being honest? And sometimes I think it's legitimate to to absolutely say yes, it is for the other. But other times I think we may tend to use this as a way of protecting ourselves, you know, like people who don't say the truth for a long time and delay to, you know, procrastinate, but just under the pretense that, oh, I'm protecting the other from suffering. But at the end, the mess that it will be created is way higher and the disappointment and hurt and the breach of trust are probably much more painful than if that person have said something earlier. Like I can, um, some clients come to mind, right? Especially in close relationships, intimate relationships, someone who's not, who's consistently dishonest for the sake of not creating conflict or in quotes, in air quotes, protecting the other. Actually, I, I doubt that it's just about the other. And I think that the disaster and the damage to the other is much greater by not saying the truth for so long
0: in these examples at least for me when i when you're explaining so i put myself in that situation and i and i look at for me and kind of you know how much am i making the decision for that other person what am i where's the other person's responsibility to say hey i don't feel that this is you know that you're being entirely sincere or truthful or i know how you function or i know how you operate i know you really well this is very out of character these kinds of things could we say that they're being emotionally dishonest by not asking or, or maybe not that so much, but it sounds very accusatory, you know? <laughs> but maybe out of fear and, and of not really wanting to know.
1: You are talking about the other now, the perspective of the other. And like, if I am the other, right, and I notice that you tell me something that is kind of like, yeah, too shiny or too, <laughs> too good to be true. And I know you. It's also my responsibility to say, well, I don't get the feeling that this is completely accurate or... What's going on? Yeah, I think that's absolutely, absolutely correct. And maybe something that came up to me as you were talking about the other is that also um, creating the, the proper conditions to have a dialogue, an honest dialogue is important. Like when the other is more receptive and even checking in with the other and noticing um, their reactions, like probably you don't need to dump everything in one you know, sitting or in one uh, sentence, so we can also have checking points in a conversation that is difficult and kind of check, are you still with me, is it still okay? So I think that's also important and that uh, came up for me from what you said, Saf, that um, it is a dialogue and the other also has a responsibility, also responsibility to say, oh, this is too much for me right now or you hurt me. I feel hurt and of course for us to listen to that
0: citing various examples without citing them how how might say we help you know, our listeners or our clients who say yeah but i want to but every time i do my parent my partner my friend shuts down or they get emotionally overwhelmed or or they start crying indeed or, and so and so i try or i have tried and and every time i do it it just never works And so no, I don't There's actually a wonderful paragraph in a book Called The Romantic Movement by uh, Alain de Botton It's not really on this But the main character talks about How she was dismissed so frequently by her partner That uh, the, the, the paragraph kind of reads essentially At first, you know, I used to venture things And then they would get dismissed or ignored And so I stopped venturing them And then she says After long enough of not venturing I even stopped having the idea to venture
1: this is so sad. This is so, so sad because this also points to the how dishonesty can erode and uh, slowly destroy a relationship. Because uh, if, uh, as you say, people is the learned helplessness to a certain degree and that construct that we learn in our psych classes, like, but in a relational context, I mean, there is no point for me to be truthful to you because you are going to dismiss me and not listen to me ever. So I'm not going to even try. But then because I guess in all of us, there is an impulse to be authentic and to be seen, then we may, we may find it somewhere else. And then the, the relationship, the original relationship may start dissipating. And that's that, uh, what you said, strikes me as very sad and a very, very sad consequence of emotional dishonesty.
2: And I'm just wondering if maybe we can talk about or define what an emotionally honest encounter looks like then. We've kind of talked about different ways emotional dishonesty can show up both within ourselves and also relationally, but I'm curious how we would see then what emotional honesty is or what that looks like.
1: Great question. And I guess that's another way to to get at that is like how, how do we deal with emotional dishonesty and how can we strive to become more honest? I think for me, the first thing that comes up is that again, that this uh, emotional honesty, this honesty takes place in a relational context. And it could be obviously with the other, but also with myself. So I think the first kind of condition would be to have that open dialogue, that openness, to dialogue with myself. I mean, to check with myself, how am I feeling right now? What am I thinking? What are my impulses? But also to be attuned to the other. So that uh, that seems to be a, um, a first kind of condition there. And then also to remain engaged and attuned. And if, if I want to bring up a relational issue with the other, to check with the other person, to be um, mindful about the conditions of, in which that conversation is happening. Like not the last five minutes of a heated conversation, like bring something really, you know, but like taking time, being from a place of care, of closeness, and then checking multiple times, like having multiple checkpoints.
2: Yeah, I think what you're speaking to there also points to a term that we use in therapy and counseling called immediacy, where it's not just the content that we're talking about between us, but also the process of how is it for you to hear me say this right now? Or how is it for you to express that to me? What is going on for you kind of on that process level that can also help kind of deepen the emotional authenticity of the moment as well and saying, you know, how is this relating between us? What is happening right here,
1: right now? There is much more that can come up from that relational space, like pointing out to that and exploring that than even perhaps my initial intention of what I the content I wanted to communicate. And sometimes just talking about that can clarify many things about the content that I intended to say. But overall, for for me, like that, and that's a personal stance, of course, like it's I think it's way more damaging not to speak the truth in an appropriate way, of course, and to holding, you know, to to keep it under wraps, under the pretext of protecting the relationship, than to find this way of communicating, because I guess my my fear is that the damage to the relationship may be greater than what we think it's are the benefits of not being honest
0: two things come up for me there is one is a phrase that my supervisor once uh, said to me when i kind of brought a, a client that i was you know worried about bringing something up with and you know for fear of of kind of causing suffering and her response was your client is already suffering and and that was very in, in a very a very succinct way kind of said everything that needed to be said about that that what I feared was already going on it wasn't and that the the suffering was probably such that my asking about it or my pointing it out wasn't going to add anything more to it that that wasn't already there so that was the the one part the other thing is we've talked about kind of being open to to dialogue and kind of I think the phrase would be titrating things and uh, you know kind of slowly and in context and so how how could we help our listeners who are perhaps haven't spent years and years and years and years training in psychology and 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 how to do, do you handle emotions and figuring out like just you know the regular person on the street who who says okay but like i, I don't know what to do how can we help them more
2: I think a really practical way to start moving to a more authentic or honest emotional expression with others is to, and it's so nuanced and we might not even notice it, but is to start speaking from the first person or from the I. I feel scared when you do this or when this happens versus a lot of how our language works is we go, you, 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 mm-hmm. you know, when you're out there and you're doing this and then this happens and you feel this way when I actually might be circling around my own experience and not actually expressing how I mm-hmm. feel instead I'm using colloquial mm-hmm. third person you to try to make a general expression versus something that's poignant and personal.
1: Absolutely, Chelsea, and that brings me to another kind of condition of how to do that. I mean, maybe it's not as practical as you want to at this point, but very important in order to speak from the I point of view, I have to be able to stay by that I, by myself, to have that inner strength to tolerate the fact that I may hurt the other and to tolerate the possibility of losing the relationship ultimately and how am i going to be with myself if that were to happen so i think that's actually it's it could be very practical like before starting talking right and to ask myself what are the what is the price i'm willing to pay for that and can i tolerate can i am i fully with myself and can i speak from that i place and can i tolerate the cost
0: yeah what is the worst that's going to happen
1: here yes Yes,
0: kind of like for for any anxiety right what is the worst that's going to happen is my partner going to leave me is my will my parents never talk to me again and then and then to kind of work backwards from there
2: sometimes to help with the imagination of how we potentially perceive that somebody would respond to us bringing up something conflictual or how we're feeling instead of going to kind of the worst like Imagining them really suffering or really in distress, I often ask clients, you know, and if you were to share this, what do you feel would be the kind of realistic, ideal response from them? Realistic good, but then also realistic bad, as a way of helping to broaden their perspective, so that it's not always necessarily focused on the worst possible outcome of sharing. But then also to go along with what Mahila was saying is that it is a possibility that they may not be able to, with what happens, the relationship may not be able to continue. And is that a risk we're willing to accept?
1: And that takes us back to uh, what we talked before, like the, that tension between being myself and being with the other, being authentic and being um, in a relationship sometimes. I mean, of course, ideally Relationship means that I can be authentic. But when we get to the point of uh, even contemplating emotional dishonesty, perhaps it's not really that way sometimes. It's, again, the tension that we are asked to hold there and to try to to deal with it in, in the way that we kind of suggested here. I think there are some sensible... Um, everything we talked about, like in terms of practicalities, are sensible steps. That my hope is that all of our listeners and ourselves can practice.
0: Oh, c- certainly. I'm, I'm, I think it's all it's all fan- fantastically useful. Certainly, in terms of the the practical experience, I think there's it it's something very valuable. I'm I hope to to the listeners and as you said, Mahila, to, to us as well to remind ourselves and to to kind of practice it right, like any muscle you know we need to practice doing things and often i i get to start with clients not just to you know kind of we said about titrate but to start with small things right with small instances of saying something you know like yeah you, know, you get the wrong coffee at starbucks and to get well actually no this isn't what i ordered rather than kind of just taking and sucking it up i see Chelsea's just kind of smiling and nodding so i'm, I'm guessing this is an, an actual example
2: yeah i've talked about that exact example actually with a few clients here and there and the range of responses is interesting from oh no I would never do that I would just take the coffee and go to you know like oh yeah I think I could do that maybe I'll try it so yeah that's just interesting you brought up that example because I know even for myself usually I'm more inclined just to you know take the order and go mm-hmm. what <laughs> Janelle what
3: no no Absolutely not! You paid too much, you know, no. <laughs> too much for that copy. No, I see that that really motivates you, Janelle. This is where I speak up. Yeah, Absolutely okay, not. good. <laughs> Have we talked about being emotionally honest just with ourselves?
1: No, we haven't very much. I mean, just with ourselves, not with the other. But like being able—what I understand from what you're saying is being able to really admit to myself some things that I prefer not to admit to myself that. Uh, Maybe I'm thinking in a certain way or I don't even feel that I'm thinking, but there are some thoughts, weird thoughts popping into my head.
3: <laughs> even just emotional attunement to like what we're feeling, like actually being able... And I mean, in, in, in psychology, it's typically referred to as emotional intelligence, right? Like being aware of one's own emotions and understanding them and being able to name them is a big piece. Then being able to actually engage with them is something entirely different. And I think that emotional honesty in relationships is made that much easier if we can actually engage with our own emotion, honestly. Because I, I think that people, I mean, we've already brought up the Enneagram. I'm an Enneagram 4. So one of my downfalls is a, the tendency to identify my whole personality with my emotional state. And I think that that's quite common for people, particularly with what emotions they want to avoid. Like I, I want to avoid sadness because I don't want to be a weak person. I want to avoid anger because I don't want to be like this angry person who reminds me of maybe bad experiences and growing up in, in their family or, or what have you. Except that when we actually cut ourselves off from our emotional experiences, we're, we're if our emotions are related to what we value or what values are being violated or realized, then we cut ourselves off from getting to know ourselves. I mean, emotions are, are an access to who we are authentically.
0: Fabulous points. It, it kind of on a practical level, it, it reminds me of something I do with clients and I encourage listeners to, to as well is what am I feeling? even if I don't know why, mm-hmm. right? Why can be done after or in therapy? I mean, that's kind of maybe, you know, some exploratory, but but at the very least, can I know what I'm feeling or what I'm maybe hiding?
1: Or even if I don't know what I'm feeling in words, at least to describe that experience, right? Rather than looking quickly for the
0: meaning, but why? And what does it mean? Indeed, yeah, I like that as well, the the kind of d- describing.
3: And to attend to just the physical, sensation that comes along with the feeling right like okay you feel sad and you're crying so stay with the tears or allow the tears to come you feel angry so your stomach starts clenching and every muscle gets tense what's that like you know before i love that before you have to understand why or before you have to do anything about it just recognize what is happening in your body
1: yeah and and that's an act of honesty and an ethical act towards ourselves, like acting justly towards our experience. And I guess, thank you so much, Janelle, for bringing us back to the relationship with self and that um, honesty towards ourselves. Because I, I think it's fair to say that if I cannot be honest with myself, with my own experience, it's virtually impossible to be honest with the other.
3: Which is ironic because I think that people are emotionally dishonest with themselves to preserve relationship how many relationships do we stay in or do we keep going and deny our own felt experience in it it's not that bad or it's okay yeah I get angry you know sometimes but they mean well and you know and and to not really sit with that anger and it's like but is that actually coming from a place that deserves to be heard
1: Mm -hmm. yeah so true it's like um, if we betray ourselves and we leave ourselves behind it's Virtually impossible to be honest with the other and to claim emotional honesty in a relationship
0: that's a, that's a great phrase right if we are if we're not honest with ourselves, then we can't expect our partners to be emotionally honest i mean we, we can we can it's entirely unfair and unjust
1: so our emotional dishonesty invites emotional dishonesty as as much as hopefully our emotional honesty will maybe help a partner who is more conflict avoidant for example to show up more and to be more honest.
3: Sometimes if we're not emotionally honest with our partners, our friends, that leaves a lot of space for them to project and put their put their own content or put their own stuff or take up more space even with their emotions, like more space for them to emotionally extrovert and take up our emotional space. And it can often lead to, I like, hear a lot of clients feeling misunderstood by the other. And yet there hasn't been opportunity to be understood because they haven't shown up for whatever reason. And and so that's something that I see as well.
1: Or they haven't understood themselves in order to be understood by the other, because sometimes I guess we expect a lot from the other to understand, to support, to be good to us. But it's our doing our work of trying to understand ourselves and to articulate to the other how we feel, what we need. So that's another um, that came to mind like right now, like thinking about a client who expected to be understood by the other, but without doing the minimal work. Ask herself like, what is it that I'm feeling or what is it that I need? So that's another form of emotional dishonesty, like um, expecting the other to to do this work that I'm supposed to do. Uh,
0: yeah, uh, to, to pick up on that on again on a practical level, Something I say to clients who who come to me for couples counselling is that you know considering finances because you know therapy is is not cheap. If it's a choice between couples counselling and individual counselling, I will always suggest individual counselling first, always, because you're going to get much more benefit out of understanding yourself and knowing how to deal with your own things, and then that'll carry over into your relationship, rather than trying to do couples counselling when neither of you are really doing your own work
1: yeah great points of yes or at least doing parallel but the finances may be a problem oh sure pa- so, yeah.
0: parallel is always the best but yeah, you know it costs money
2: are there any final thoughts that we have on this or things that we would like to reflect upon or or share here at the end kind of before we wrap up this episode
0: without wanting to kind of force the issue too much i kind of actually enjoyed this far more than i imagined i would and the more we talked, the more kind of open it felt and, and in a kind of way, this is what we would hope that comes from emotional honesty that it creates more dialogue and more curiosity and speculation and and suggestions and solutions
1: yeah, so I feel very much the same i'm i'm um, I feel that i we got to look at different facets of that that I didn't definitely expect that they would come up from this dialogue, so I'm also very grateful for for that and Definitely, I'm also taking something from this for myself and for my clients.
2: And with that too, I think that there were so many different avenues that opened up from this that it would be interesting to dialogue further, maybe about specifics, because there's so much here that emerged, like we can't do justice to in the time that we have today. but. There's so many different things that have come up for me that I'm thinking about that I would like to come back to in future episodes as well.
3: I think the last thing I'd like to say about emotional honesty is just to recognize how much courage it takes to do that. And then it can be an incredibly scary thing to be emotionally honest with oneself, but especially with the other. However, I do think that being emotionally honest is quite enriching to relationships we can have more authentic relationships with ourselves and others when we are emotionally honest great point
1: yeah great point janelle yeah thank you for for mentioning that yeah it is very very scary for for some people and it takes a lot of courage and yet it's I'm with you here, like I'm I think it's totally worth it. And I think that not being honest just creates more damage, suffering, in spite of interestingly enough, emotional dishonesty being motivated most of the times by the desire to prevent suffering.
3: And um, maybe we can leave our listeners with a bit of a challenge that the next time that somebody asks them how they are, that they actually tell them how they are. You know, within reason to the relationship.
1: Excellent. Excellent point, Janelle. Yes.
2: Something that, uh, you know, is just kind of dawning on me as we've been talking to is when we are asked how we're doing, how often it comes back to something just like so aqueous and, mm-hmm. and watery and nothingness, really. And I was thinking about my check in today and just how. I started talking about the weather (laughs) it's like how conditioned is that right like it's like it's coming up even there you know I wasn't sure exactly what my check-in would be that there for today and it's like oh yeah the weather is disappointing me and it's just interesting how sometimes not even being aware of it it comes up in that way so yeah I just wanted to make note of that
3: before we move into our existential question for our next episode, we want to say a big thank you to our listeners for your ongoing support. We've reached just over 1,500 downloads, which is above and beyond what we imagined it would be so early on in the creation of this podcast. We are so pleased you're enjoying the content, and if you'd like to help us, we would appreciate it if you could subscribe if you haven't already, share the podcast with your friends, or give us a rating. Of course, we always appreciate comments and would love to hear from you if there are any topics you'd like us to cover. Follow along and find us at existentialistpodcast.com. Now for our existential question. It's a short one. Are you ready? Who are you really? How would you describe who you really are? We look forward to hearing your answers.
2: Well, thank you for listening with us today and following along and um, consider the, the challenge that Janelle gave there to, you know, find a way or an opportunity, possibility to be more emotionally honest and to show up in that way. And So we'll leave you with that to reflect on. Thank you for being with us today.
0: Follow us on Instagram at existentialist podcast and let us know your answer to today's existential question to learn more about us listen to and learn about other episodes visit our website at existentialistpodcast.com